0: Let me encourage you to open your Bible uh, to John chapter 10. Now, we're going to be looking today at John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. Uh, But before we get there, we need to remember. That when we started in chapter 10, Jesus is making this comparison between himself and the Pharisees. He is, he is directly going out of his way to, to point out how they have not been good shepherds. They have been, um, they have been selfish, greedy shepherds who care nothing for the sheep. And that he alone is the good shepherd. Remember chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. He's, he's directing this discussion with them. And, and John has written it for us by the inspiration of the Spirit so that we would understand and see who our shepherd is, who he is claiming to be, and that is to be our encouragement. And so we... Um, I've got to keep, my, keep the clock on me so I make sure we end in time. But uh, we, we need this encouragement because it's so often we have a tendency to forget. And we, we sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that... that um, when, when things around us break up, when, when our parents get a divorce, or when uh, a, a, a beloved teacher or friend moves away, or, or when, when something that we have trusted in and relied upon moves or leaves, we start to, to think that everything is shaky and everything is, is, is movable, but we need to remember that our good shepherd is not. So uh, let me just read chapter 10, verses 14 through 16 again. For the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen that I must bring them also, or I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, I ask that you would give us wisdom this morning, that you would quiet my heart, and that you would help me to focus. Father, that you would uh, help all of us to to be able to submit to the leading of your spirit as you teach us from your word. God, help us not to make uh Uh, lofty assumptions about our own wisdom, but let us submit to the clear presentation of your word. Um, I ask, Father, that you would comfort each of us as we seek to know you better and that we would find great encouragement in knowing more about our shepherd. And Father, if there's anyone here who is following after anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help them to see that Jesus alone is the good shepherd. And all other shepherds, all other those who claim to be shepherds, cannot lead us to heaven. They cannot lead us to the Father. They, They will only lead us to destruction and pain. God, give us grace. Open the eyes of the blind so that they would see you and turn and believe. God, give us wisdom as we dive into your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's, let's just jump right into our text, and we're going to start in the beginning of verse 14. And I want to break up verse 14 into three sections. So we're going to begin where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, as we looked at last week and we discussed this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd and the implications that it has, and last week we noted that Jesus is unique as the good shepherd. That he is the one and only shepherd, that he is the one and only way. Again, in Acts 14, or 4, um, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. There is but one good shepherd. That Jesus, as the good shepherd, is special. He alone is perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully good beyond any other. Jesus as the good shepherd is distinct. He became human to stand where we couldn't and to lead us to the Father. He alone is eternally with God, as John 1.1 makes the point, that that he was with God and he was God. One through through three, that's what I meant. That Jesus is God himself, God incarnate. And then we noted the fact that he is, as the good shepherd, is sacrificial. He loves us with an unending, unyielding, undefeated, unimaginable love. And this love is is willing to prioritize or to value us even when we don't deserve it. This is what it means for him in part to be the good shepherd. He is good unlike any other. He is unique. He is sacrificial. He is eternally valuable. He is glorious. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And we need to hold this in our minds whenever we think of the idea or the concept of the good shepherd. So let's move on to the second part. Jesus says, I know my sheep. Now, Jesus knows a lot of things, you know, to say the least, all right? To know here is not mental knowledge of the existence of someone. I could technically say that I know Mike Ditka, right? I could say that I I know what he looks like. I know what he's done. He was a famous football player and coach of the Chicago Bears. He's kind of a cult legend in Chicago area. Um, I met him once, so I know what his hand feels like-ish. I know it made mine feel really small. So I can say I know him in that regards. But what the text is communicating here is not that type of knowledge. Yeah, I know he exists. Yeah, I could tell you what he looks like. But that's not the knowledge that is being spoken of here. For Jesus to know his sheep means something more intimate and unique than just know that they exist. Let me give you a couple examples of what this this knowledge pictures. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 uh, through 5, for Jesus to know his sheep in this context emphasizes his eternal individual love for his sheep. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5. It says this, For he chose us, being God, chose us in him, being Christ, Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and and will. Jesus, for Him to know His sheep, is an intimate knowledge of, I know your being, I know your soul, I know all that there is to know about you, and I know you intimately." Another example we could note is in John chapter 6. Turn with me to John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. For Jesus to know his sheep speaks to his intention to die for them, to save them, and to lead them into God's eternal rest. John chapter 6, look at verses 37 through 40. It says this, Jesus speaking, and he says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but will raise them up at the last day. For the Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For Jesus to know his sheep emphasizes and implies this understanding that I know that they have been given to me by the Father. I know that they are on my roll call. I know that they are mine. It also means that I know that I, will, uh, that, that I intend to die for them, that I will save them, that I will pay for their sin with my own blood, and that I will lead them to glory, that I will start something in them and I will finish it. I will raise them up in the last day and I will give them eternal life. Jesus' knowledge of us is not, is not partial. It's not, I know them now, and so I'm going to put up with them now, but eventually, if they sin too much, or if they annoy me too much, or if they do this or do that, then I'm going to be done with them. I'm going to forget about them. His knowledge of us is permanent, and it leads to our eternal salvation. Jesus' knowledge of his sheep is born out of his love for his sheep. Remember again, Ephesians 1, 5, in love he predestined us. While we were still sinners, he predestined us according to the pleasure of his will. He does this, he loves us, not because we have earned it or ever could earn it, but simply because of his great grace, he has chosen freely to love us, even while we were yet sinners. His knowledge reminds us of his love and his love is never empty. For His love is always accompanied by His protection and His care. In Romans eight thirty two, it says, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? For Jesus' knowledge of us emphasizes not only that he will save us, but after saving us, he will also lead us through life. He will, as it says in uh, Philippians 1.6, He who started a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. His knowledge of us points to his intention to take us from death to life and life eternal. When Jesus says that he knows his sheep, that means that if, if you, if you have believed in Jesus, that he knows you, which should be great encouragement when you go through difficulties. For he knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sins, even your secret ones. He knows your doubts, your insecurities, your faith your family, your everything. He knows you more fully than anyone ever could and His knowledge of you is an expression of His great love, provision, and protection. Always be encouraged, brothers, that, that God knows you. He sees you. He knows what you, or what you need when you don't have the... or He knows what you mean when you don't have the words to express to Him how you feel. He knows what is needed to get you through a difficult situation. He doesn't know just generally. Here's generally what someone might need in this situation. He knows what you need. The grace that you need. The provision that you need. This is how he can promise that he will lead us all the way through, that he will guarantee that he will start something in us and we'll finish it because he knows you. He knows how to teach you. He knows how to sharpen you. He knows how to work in you. He knows how to encourage you. And he knows how to hold you up in his love. He knows you. And if he knows you, he loves you. As Matthew Henry wrote, Jesus knows them. That is, he approves and accepts them. Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, child of God, let me remind you that his knowledge of you should be your encouragement. For he knows you and loves you. He doesn't love you because you've earned it. But he knows you still and loves you. And because he knows you and loves you, he will provide you with the faith and the resources you need to walk humbly with your God until he calls you home. Jesus says, I know my sheep. And then he says, and my sheep know me. Now, I don't know who you think you are on that picture. Um, I know who I think I am, and it's the best looking one, but... um, He says, my sheep know me. Friends, salvation is not dependent upon learning certain rules or certain regulations. It's not about learning some uh, particular points of theology. It's about meeting Jesus. It's about knowing him by faith. And to know Him, to know His goodness, His tenderness, His sympathy, His patience, His grace, His provision, His gentleness, His power, His wisdom, and His love, it is our knowledge of Him that it is the underpinning of our faith. The order here is also not random. It is because He first knew us that we can claim to know Him. Just as it is true that we love Him because He first loved us, according to 1 John 4, 19. It is really important that we each know Him, not just things about Him. Satan knows a great deal about God. I don't know, sometimes it seems like we get into this trap of thinking that the point of Christianity, the point of life, is is that whenever Bible trivial pursuit comes out, that you can get the most answers right. That is not salvation, and that is not the definition of godliness, for Satan would beat all of us at Bible Trivia Pursuit, but it does not help him. Do you know the Lord? Not know about him. Do you know the Lord? And if so, are you always seeking to know more of him? Augustine prayed so wonderfully to God. He says, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It's the longing of our hearts to be known and to know our God. There is no life without Jesus. There is no hope without Jesus. There is no forgiveness without Jesus. Knowing Him is the most important thing in life. Knowing and loving Jesus is what matters most of all friends. So Jesus begins and He emphasizes this this beautiful reality of the, the, the underpinning, the foundation of the gospel, which is Jesus knowing us and us knowing Him. Which leads us into verse 15. He says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, he begins by saying, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So, because Jesus knows us, and we know Him in a special and unique way, the unity between us and Jesus can be compared to the unity between Jesus the Son and God the Father. Again, it's a comparison It's not saying that they are necessarily equal, which here goes to stress Jesus' commitment to those that he knows and those who know him, which again is stressed by this reality. He's basically saying, listen, me and the Father are so close, but if I know you and you know me, then I have brought you into that same closeness. You are not not an afterthought for me. And then he emphasizes this again by saying, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, it's worth noting that as in verse 14, Jesus is not speaking to or about all sheep or all of humanity here. I want to encourage you, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And while you're turning there, Jesus is speaking only of those sheep, those people that he knows personally and that know him personally. That is who He is speaking to and of, the sheep that He knows and that know Him or will know Him. Listen to what He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. "'Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name, and in Your name drive out demons, and in Your name perform many miracles?' Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus is not saying, I did not know of your existence. He knew what they were doing. He knew who they were in that sense. But he did not have intimate and and personal knowledge of them. And they did not of him. In verse 15, Jesus is speaking of his sheep. For these are the sheep who he dies for. That is, only those who the Father has given him. Those who he knows and those who will, by God's grace, know him. Otherwise, if Jesus died for all sin of all people, then no one should ever go to hell. There shouldn't be a hell. If Jesus has paid the price for it, augustine made the argument several hundred years ago of the inequity of god's justice to claim that jesus died for all people's sins and god accepted the payment for all of their sins then god could never send someone to hell because if he did then they'd pay for the sins twice then god as a just judge would accept jesus's payment for their sin and their payment for their sin well that's not justice As we've talked about when we looked at John 3.16, the idea of the world is used in a variety of different ways in this gospel, and we need to keep that in our minds and understand. If Jesus died for all sins, then no one could be sent to hell. Jesus didn't die for all sinners. He died for all those given to Him by the Father, all those who would believe in Him. It is these sheep that He gives up His life for. It is these that he redeems with his own blood. And in case some might be thinking that these sheep are are a limited grouping, especially from the covenant people of God, from the people of Israel, then we move into verse 16. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now there are two massively important points with the few minutes that I have left that we need to know here. First, Jesus always intended to save more than just those of the people of Israel. And second, Jesus didn't create two flocks. First, Jesus always intended to save more than just those of the people of Israel. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. Now first, let me push back against some, some crazy ideas uh, that are out there about this text. Some suggest, as the Mormon church does, that the other pen is the Americas, and and that the other pen then is is God specifically saying He saved people from, from that side of the world and now He's going to save the American Indians and the American people. There is nothing inside of this text or any other text in Scripture that you could make that argument from. There are others who have suggested that this proves that there is other intelligent life in the universe. That after Jesus finished here, that he went and saved aliens from Mars and other planets across the universe because those were the ones in the other sheep pen that he had to bring in. Again, the only way you get to that conclusion is if you force it into the text. For there is no possible way of receiving that from the text. So let's look at the text itself. Notice that Jesus didn't say that he hopes to have other sheep. Jesus didn't say, I am dying to give the opportunity and hopefully, fingers crossed, someone will believe. No, because he died for specific individuals that the Father had given him in eternity past and who would believe. He did not die for some random people, some nameless, faceless group of people who would someday believe. Every Christian, even us, those thousands of years later, were always known by Jesus and belonged to Jesus from eternity past. He says in the present tense, I have other sheep. Even those of us who have been saved 2,000 plus years later, we were always in his heart, and we were always his. It was, God's, it was always God's intention to save more than just the remnant of the people of Israel. Listen to what it says in Galatians 3:8. It says, Scripture, being the Old Testament, foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, which is quoting from Genesis 12, Genesis 18, and Genesis 22. The point being that God had always said, my plan was not just for you, Israel. My plan is to bless the world. My plan is that I am going to have a people from every country, every language. I am going to bring people to myself. His plans were much bigger than just Israel. And just like all Israelites who are saved, all those who believe, so all Gentiles who are saved are just sheep. And thus we must be brought In by the shepherd. For neither a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian is able to save themselves. We are each dependent solely upon one gospel, solely upon saving, being saved by grace through faith alone. The text, as it's as it's stressed in the Old Testament and the rest of the New Testament, God has taken sheep from Israel and from the Gentiles, who are the sheep from the other pen. Which means that all of us who are who, who Jesus is, is, I guess all of us who have believed here, who are not have Jewish heritage, we're in this category. When Jesus says, I have other sheep and other pens, that includes Paul Lamberson. And that includes every one of you who have believed. We should praise him always that his purpose was not just for the people of Israel. The second thing that we need to note is that there are not two flocks. He says, they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, this is a logical necessity when you consider the other illustrations used in Scripture to speak of Christ and His church. He is the, bri- or he is the groom and we are the bride. There is only one groom and there is only one bride. He is the head and we are the body. There is only one head and there is only one body. Yet in the early church, there was a great deal of prejudice between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. There was a great deal of infighting that that the Apostle Paul dealt with explicitly. The Gentiles didn't want the Jewish believers to have major roles inside of the church because they blamed them for the, the crucifixion of Christ and because they looked at them and said, well, you should have done so much more for God because you had the covenants and you had the laws and you had all this stuff, and yet you didn't get the gospel right away. And the Jewish Christians said, We had the covenants, and we had the laws, and so we are the really special people of Israel. God's chosen to save you, but he liked us first. And so they didn't want the Jewish or the Gentile Christians. And so whenever church Paul went to, if it was primarily a Jewish-populated church, he found discrimination against the Gentiles. And whenever he found a Gentile-populated church primarily, he found discrimination against the Jewish Christians because there was this tension between them. The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians needed to understand that they each were were sheep of God and that God does not have stepchildren. Each of us tried to stress that they, or I should say each of them tried to stress that they were more important or more pure or more loved by God than the other. But Jesus is stressing clearly here that that his intention was not to have stepchildren on either side. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. His intention was to create one family, one flock, with all his sheep following him and being saved by grace alone. There is not two gospels, one by works and one by grace. There is but one gospel and Jesus is the one who unites these two groups. Look at Ephesians two verses eleven through sixteen. This is right after he's declared, "For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and and that you are the handiwork of God." And then he says, "Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, which was a name of derision, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body or done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time." You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. One. And destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Notice that the two dividing groups was the Gentiles and the Jewish believers. And Jesus is the one who put aside this idea that there's one special people of God and then there's the stepchildren of God. There's the one who's really special to God and then the people that God puts up with. And we need to remember this, especially in our culture at this time, that in the American church, we have done many of the same things. Only we haven't drawn the lines between Jew and Gentile, more we have drawn the lines between language or history, culture, skin color. I remember my grandmother speaking to me, and, and she, was, she was a Swede through and through. And she used to talk about how it was, it was made abundantly clear that, that Polish were not allowed in their churches. It was, it, was, it was not appropriate. They could come to God, but they couldn't come to Him there. Friends, we have made some of those mistakes. And we need to make sure that we take the blinders off to understand that there is one family of God. And all those who are saved by grace are our brothers and sisters in Christ and need to be treated with love and respect and dignity and honor. Although we have divided ourselves even into Baptist churches and Charismatic churches and Presbyterian churches and Reformed churches and Arminian churches, we must always remember that there is but one true church. One true flock. And it is filled with all God's children who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. What unites us is our relationship to the shepherd, our relationship to the Father. And if we are united to the Father, if we are known by and know the shepherd, then we are a child of God and we are an equal member of the flock. And we can always trust that our good shepherd will unite us more fully together as we submit and follow him and will lead us home together in the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I ask that you would give us great wisdom as we seek to understand what your word proclaims. God, that you would give us humility as we as we seek to remember that the gospel is not necessarily about accepting certain. Uh, doctrines of the faith, and and that is not to minimize doctrine at all. But it is to say that salvation is had by knowing you, knowing Jesus, that He is our salvation, not truths about Him, but He alone. And to be saved, we must know Him, and He must know us. And so, God, I ask that you would remind us of the, the great blessing of salvation and that you would keep us humble in light of it. Father, you would help us to to be very cautious of our prejudices, which can pop up in anyone. Uh, Even Peter struggled with it in Galatians. Lord, I I just pray that you would help us to to love well and to acknowledge and understand that if we have been saved by grace from first to last, then we have no right to consider ourselves of, of greater worth or value than another. Help us to submit and follow after the leading of Scripture, which does dictate that there are some, some people who can lead, some people who can't. There are some people who, who should, uh, should teach and other people who shouldn't teach, and, and, and that, um, that that's okay because you have made that distinction. Help us not to make our own distinctions and help us to understand that whether we teach or not teach, that we are each equal children of God by grace through faith in Jesus alone. We thank you for your goodness your compassion, your grace, and your provision as the only good shepherd. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.